Ann from Riverside Church of Christ in Coppell, Texas. It's part of DFW to us tonight. Corey got a Bible degree from Lipscomb, mainly of the Churches of Christ, the Mississippi River. <laughs> Over in the eastern part of the world, he, came, he moved to uh, uh, Texas from Atlanta about a year ago and has been in DFW area since then. He's married to Alicia. She is here tonight. They have three beautiful children, which came, and they are enjoying San Antonio. Uh, for the kids for the first time. So they're going to go see the Alamo tomorrow and all that kind of neat stuff. That's cool. So, Corey, come and talk to us about weddings. Well, I'll start by saying I am wearing white. (laughs) And I'm really glad I did. Oh, what a joy it is to be here tonight. Thank you guys so much for the invitation. I know I've seen the the speaker schedule that Doug put together in your staff. And, man, what a tremendous summer you guys have had. What a treat. And, I want you to know I'm just really incredibly uh, honored uh, to be here and to be with you tonight. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago you had one of my friends, Randy Harris, come, uh, come speak with you. And Randy became a friend of mine back when I was in college. He was one of my professors and became a mentor, and we've been friends for a long time. So as soon as I got the email saying that, uh, showing the whole summer series and the speakers for, uh, for you guys, and I saw that his name and my name were on the same preaching docket. I, I quickly emailed him, and I said, I must have arrived. <laughs> you know, I'm on the same speaking uh, trail as you, so uh, we got a good laugh out of that. But I'm really, uh, really honored and humbled uh, to be with you tonight and to share with you uh, some, of these, some of these words of Jesus. And so it's going to be a good night together as we look at the parables together. I love these stories. These stories, I, I know you've probably figured this out, but you could, you could read these stories, preach these stories, teach these stories a hundred times. And every time you turn the story just a little different angle, just like a diamond, right? You just see another angle of the teaching and the, and the ministry and the words of Jesus. So tonight, I hope, even though Doug, I think, gave me the hardest parable of all, I'm hoping to show you something uh, that maybe will encourage you uh, in your walk with Christ uh, this week. Uh, like Doug said, my family's here, and I have a picture I want to share with you just to show uh, our kids off for a minute. And uh, my wife, uh, this is my wife Alicia on the screen here to, my, to, to your right, and then my children, that's Will, uh, who just turned 10, and then Ella Grace, who is now 8, and Emma there, who is 5. And um, we thought we were really good parents when we had two kids, and then we had the third. And... <laughs> There's something about going from man-to-man defense to zone that really just messes it up. So any young parents out there, that's my advice. Keep the man-to-man defense going. But, uh, yeah, that's our family, and uh, we're just in a really sweet phase of life. And I uh, just love, uh, you know, out of all the things that I, I do, being a dad is by far my favorite, my favorite thing, and it's, it's a real joy. Tonight, though, uh, I want to ask you this question. And uh, we, we heard the story about the little girl at the wedding a while ago. But, you know, when you think about heaven... What do you think about? What do you think about when you think about heaven? And do you think about a wedding? And do you think about a wedding party? I, I love this story. I, you may or may not have caught this. About, uh, it's almost been a year now, maybe a little more, that this story came across my radar of this couple from Turkey uh, who were getting married. And I'll probably mispronounce their names, but you'll see their pictures on the screen as well. Uh, this is Fatula and Esra, and I won't try their last names. Uh, a couple uh, in Turkey that got married uh, just uh, a little while back. And the coolest thing happened. Uh, this was around the same time, if you recall, that the big crisis was breaking out in the world uh, with the Syrian refugees. And so uh, Fatula's dad, uh, the, the groom, his father came to him, and he, he had this idea. He said, what if, what if after your wedding, you know, what, what everybody does after a wedding is they throw a big party, and we feed all the guests, and we have a really nice meal. Maybe you had this even at your wedding uh, on the day that you got married. He said, that's what normally happens, but what if instead, 
what if we use that same money and we put together um, a meal for our Syrian neighbors? And we do a meal for these refugees who are coming in uh, to our part of our country. And so we took the idea to his wife, and, and, and I would love to have seen her face when he first asked her this. But he asked her, and Esther quickly said, that's absolutely what we should do. And if you go look the story up online, you'll see pictures of them, her in her wedding gown, he in his tux, in a soup line, where they have taken all the money that they would have used for their wedding meal, and they've thrown a party for over 4,000 Syrian refugees. Isn't that a great story? I think stories like that resonate with people like us, people who are followers of Jesus, people who know a little bit about what the kingdom of heaven is like, because it speaks to what it's supposed to be like, right? Like, this is, this is it. This is, you know, Jesus taught his disciples one prayer, you know, may, may things be on earth as they are in heaven. And what they did in that moment was they extended incredible grace to these people who needed grace. They, they extended incredible justice to these people who needed justice. I mean, you know what grace is. Grace is undeserved kindness. And this was, was incredibly, it wasn't that it was deserved or undeserved. It just, it was, it was completely uncommon. It was out of the ordinary. It was unexpected. And there was a sense in which it was undeserved. And they did it anyway. And it was just in that, it was, it was a moment in time and where they probably realized they couldn't fix the world's problems. They couldn't fix the Syrian refugee crisis but they could make what had gone wrong right that night by giving people who were hungry a meal. And it was just. They brought justice into these people's lives. And any time, I think we know this, don't we? Any time that we hear stories that speak to grace, and they speak to justice, people like us, people who know Jesus, we kind of get a little bit excited because we see life like it's supposed to be. You know, Jesus talks a lot about heaven. And I don't know if you've picked up on this this summer or not. I, I bet you have. When you think about heaven, you probably think about streets of gold and pearly gates and, you know, St. Peter giving you a high five on the way in, you know. When Jesus talked about heaven, he almost always seemed to talk a whole lot more about what life would be like here instead of there. His stories always started with this language of the kingdom of heaven is like. Then he went on to tell us these stories, and these stories told us this. They told us what life is like in God's economy. They told us that how we should treat other people who share God's identity. And not only that, but they told us what life happens and what happens when we participate in making, making things on earth as they are in heaven. This is, this is what the parables of Jesus do for us. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like this, this is what he says. This is what life looks like in God's economy. This is what life looks like when people treat each other who share God's identity. And this is what happens when you participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And over and over again, he told these stories that tell us what life is like. And not only that, but he, he taught us this truth, I think. He said the kingdom of heaven is a place. Where, great, where the grace of God meets the justice of God. And think about that. The kingdom of heaven is a place where the grace of God meets the justice of God. I don't know if you have felt the way I felt this summer, but it seems like every week, are you, are you tracking with me? There's, there's just more stuff in the news cycle that just wrecks our world. You know, whether it's what happened up at Baylor, you know, a few months ago, or Stanford, or whether it's the shootings in Dallas, or the racism that we're facing right now in our country, and what happened in Baton Rouge and other places all around the last few weeks. It feels like every Sunday we gather to pray, 
you know, for people that have been affected and people who have been hurt and people who have been victims. That, that, that same day news is breaking of more violence and more things that are going wrong. And we live in a world where there's a lot of people who need grace and they aren't getting grace. We live in a world where there are a lot of people who need justice and they are never, ever going to get justice. And you look around the world and if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what the kingdom of heaven is like, but it's not like this. And a lot of people I know who are followers of Jesus in days like these, they're turning to, they're turning to the news, they're turning to their social media feed, and tonight what I want to do is I want to turn your attention to Jesus. Because I think he's the one that can speak into our lives the hope that we need in days like these. And he's the one that can tell us where grace and where justice meet. Especially in a day and time like this. And don't let it be lost on you that the day and the time in which Jesus told these stories, I mean, you could argue those first followers of Jesus were a little, much worse off, right? Living under incredible oppression. Living in a day and time when racism was thicker, thicker than it is right now. Living in a day and time where crosses lined the streets and brutality ruled their world. And in that environment, in front of that audience, Jesus told these stories. And he told this story that we're going to read tonight. So if you have a Bible or, or a way to open up to this text on your device or however you do it, I would encourage you to open up to Matthew 22. Because I'm going to share with you the words of Jesus as he tries to describe to us again what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And he says this, Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus told them other parables and he said, and here it is again, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now again, I don't know what you think about when you think about heaven, but have you ever thought about heaven like this? Before we even get into the parable, listen to the way Jesus talks about heaven. How does he describe it? It's a wedding feast. It's a party. It's a place of joy, a place of celebration. It's a place where there's going to be incredible, there's going to be warm food on the table. You're going to gather with people that you know and love and know and love you. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. When you talk to people about heaven, is this what you talk about? This is what Jesus talked about. He talked about heaven as a place where people gathered for a party. But he goes on, verse 3. When the banquet was ready... He sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Now think about this. Everything's ready. Everyone's been invited. And he sends out the servants to say, hey, hey, it's time. Come on in. Have you ever thrown a party and nobody came? Don't raise your hand. I know it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> Have you ever planned an event and nobody showed up? I mean, how does that feel? Some of you know how that feels. I know how that feels. I, I can say honestly. It's like a punch in the gut, right? It's like, I mean, you feel you're, you're mad, you're sad, you're, you're worried, you're concerned, you don't know what's wrong, what's wrong with them or what's wrong with you. You're like, you're analyzing every angle of the situation. You're embarrassed, you don't, you know. He, the king throws a party, and it's not just a party, it's a wedding feast, and he's invited all these people that should have wanted to be there. And by the way, he is a king, and when a king gives an invitation, how do you respond? The answer is always yes, <laughs> you know. But nobody comes. Verse 4, so we sent other servants to tell them, hey, the feast has been prepared. You know, maybe there was a mistake. Maybe you missed the date. Maybe you misunderstood the time. So he sends them again. 
The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. He's saying, hey, hey, maybe you missed the memo, but it's, it's like it's happening. So, yeah, come on in. Verse 5. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers, and get this, they insulted them, and then they killed them. Are you, kill- are you kidding me? Not only do they reject the invitation, now they have killed the messengers that the king sent. And he didn't invite him just once, he invited him twice. They refused him both times, and then they refused him the final way in a violent way. Verse 7, the king was, and I think we can understand this emotion, this is an emotional word. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Now, if you're like me, if you get to this point in the story, you're thinking... Because you're already thinking ahead, right? You guys, you, you guys are followers of Jesus. You've read your Bible before. And you're already trying to figure out who's who in the story, right? And you're thinking, well, the king, the king has got to be God. And that sounds really nice until you get to this point in the story where the king is furious and he sends out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And at this point, you're like, whoa, hold up, time out. You know, this is not the Jesus loves me God that we've sung about since, you know, my, BB, my BBS days. What's going on in this story? And at first glance, it may sound like the king is harsh, but... As you think back to the parable, I, I think that there's a sense in which the king, if, if I'm reading it right, was incredibly gracious. I mean, to get an invitation to his son's wedding feast is incredibly gracious to be on that list. For that to be refused and for the king to send that same invitation to you a second time, man, that's unheard of grace. There is no king that would do that. In fact, most kings in the days of Jesus and probably in the days of today, after the first invitation had been ignored, they would have sent out their army that time. This king is not like any other king. This king is more gracious than any other king. This king sends the invitation not only once, but he sends it out twice. And yet, after the violent murder of his messengers, the king acts in justice, but only after he acted in grace. And I think Jesus here is trying to tell you and me something, and it's this point right here, that grace always comes before judgment. And if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, I think you probably understand that. And if you don't, I want to make sure you hear this, that in the kingdom of heaven, grace always comes before judgment. The king repeatedly acted in a gracious manner before he ever acted in judgment. And that is a picture. It's an accurate picture of what our king is like too. He's a king and he's not like any other king. He's a gracious king. But he's also a just king. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss this point. Verse 8. And so he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. Finally, there are people at the wedding feast. And the king, I'm sure, is excited. And this too, isn't this a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like? If you're thinking through this story and you're thinking, okay, this, this kind of sounds like 
what the, what the story of God was like throughout this, the story of God, throughout the people of God, throughout the story of Israel, where, where God repeatedly sent messengers, He sent judges, He sent prophets, He sent men, He sent women to remind the people, to call the people, to lead the people uh, back to God and for God. And over time, over and over again, what do the people of God do? They rejected the message. They even sometimes killed those who carried the message, right? And so the, for us to think that Jesus didn't have this in mind, well, if you're thinking that, you're probably on the right track. This is probably something Jesus had on his brain as he's telling the story. But I think it speaks to us as well, doesn't it? Because this, points, uh, this paints a picture that, that, that I believe is so true of God. That God is always at work and has always been at work to draw all people to himself. The message of Scripture has always been that God wanted to bring all the nations together. Uh, if you remember, that was kind of why God had a chosen people. He chose a people to be a light to the nations. And they failed over and over again in a colossal manner to be that light to the nations. They wanted to keep that to themselves. And so what did God do? He sent Jesus, who was the light of the world, to be the light to the world, to the nations. But I think for us, because here's what I've noticed, and see if, you, if you're with me on this. And this is, this is a hard truth. And you can push back. You can disagree. I, I, I'm completely okay with that. Here's what I've experienced in my life and in my ministry and in my work with people, is that we believe this is true. We believe that God is absolutely, absolutely always working to bring all people to himself. We believe that, that God loves everyone. And we believe that intellectually in a very factual, truthful way. Until, until we start talking about a person or maybe a people group, that for whatever reason, we completely disdain. Or for whatever reason, in our mind, we have completely devalued. And maybe it's because of the color of their skin. Maybe it's because of uh, the tribe or the nation that they're from. Maybe it's because of their religious affiliation or whatever other demarcation you can come up with. We have, we, we, we have come up with incredible, innumerable ways to divide ourselves, haven't we? And even good people, even followers of Jesus people, they believe it until you start talking about that group of people. And then we're reminded again of the words of Jesus. And you know these words, you've known these words, you see them in every football game that's on TV. For God so loved who? The world. The world. He loved the world. He loved, he loved the people that looked like me and the people that didn't look like me. He loved the people who speak my language and the people who don't speak my language. He, he loves the people that are easy to love and the people that are hard to love. He loves the entire world. And by the way, I know these words are from John 3.16, but these are red letters, Right? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus has always been at work to bring all people to himself. And I think there's a word in here for us as a church that we need to be aware of this in ourselves. That deep, even in the recesses of our hearts, um, there's the potential for us to try to keep out people that Jesus is inviting in to his party. And what I want to challenge you and honestly challenge myself with is to welcome the same people that Jesus welcomes. To always welcome the same people Jesus welcomes. But the story isn't over there, is it? Verse 11. 
When the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing proper clothes for a wedding. I told you Doug gave me the hardest parable of the entire summer, and so I'm going to invite him to come to Riverside and and give him revelation or something. Um, It was hard enough that the king, you know, kills all the people that didn't come to the feast, but then there's this verse, verse 12, friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Um, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, wow, wow. Again, the king has extended incredible grace, has he not? He went out to the highways and the byways, and he had the, the good and the bad alike come in. Incredible grace. The fact that this man was even at the wedding feast was an action of incredible grace in his life. But he comes to this guy, and we don't know why, but apparently he's the only one there who had not taken time to change. Who had not put on the wedding robes. And so he had been extended the grace of God, but now he was about to meet the justice of God. Because I think there's something, again, that Jesus is trying to teach us here. And it's first, it's this first you have to accept the invitation of the king. That, that, that's, that's an activity of grace that has been extended at all, right? But then, once you've accepted the invitation of grace, you have to be obedient to the king. You have to change. You have to change. That this is what Jesus is calling us to. This, again, is what, what it looks like when the grace of God and the justice of God come together. And you know this, right? That justice, it really does have two sides. Justice is, on the, one, on the one hand, it's making right what went wrong. Again, it's the wedding feast that the couple throws in Turkey, and they, they make right what went wrong for all these Syrian refugees. And they, they feed them, and they love them, and they give them something that they need. That's just. That is justice. That is making right something that has gone wrong. But the other side of justice, the other side of justice is upholding a standard and an expectation of what life is supposed to be like for those of us, especially those of us who have stepped in to this kingdom life, this kingdom living. And it makes me think a couple things, really. You know, one, have you ever, have you ever ignored the invitation of the king? Just think about that for a second. Have you ever ignored the invitation of the king? Has there ever been a time that you knew what you should do, but you didn't do it? Because if you've ever known what you should do and you didn't do it, then you have essentially done what these guys did. You've ignored the invitation of the king, right? And I love how we do this. Are you, are you like the people I know? You know, uh, Whenever we, we do this, we call it a mistake, right? We messed up. You know? We didn't mean to do it. And we are, we've gotten really good at calling everything a mistake, right? You can do anything you want and call it a mistake and, and get away with it, right? But there's a difference between a mistake and a choice. You know that, right? If I'm holding a, a plate in my hand and I drop it on the floor, if it slips out of my hand, that's a mistake. It broke on accident. I had no intention of doing that. If I take the same plate and I throw it against the wall, that was a choice I made, right? There's a difference between a mistake and a choice. And so many times what you and I have done, if we have rejected the king's invitation, we have chosen... If we can just be brutally honest with ourselves, we have chosen to take actions 
that we know we're against the heart of God, that we know we're against the heart of His people and the heart of other people. And when we get called to account for our behavior, when we get called to account for the things that we've done, what we do over and over again is we say, ah, it was a mistake. No, it wasn't. You chose to do it. And any time you and I choose to do anything that is against the heart of God and against the will of God, that's a choice. That's not a mistake. And I think we have to wonder, we have to find ourselves in the story. That's one of, one of the things that we do in the parables of Jesus. We have to find ourselves in the story. And I think we have to ask ourselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus, because it's easy to assume that we've accepted the invitation, but I think we have to ask ourselves the hard question, have you ever rejected the invitation of the king? But not only that, have you ever done this? Have you ever wanted God to love you as you are and then leave you as you are? Because that's what happened for this man. He came to the wedding feast and he refused to change. And maybe like me, you've prayed this prayer. Have you prayed this prayer? I prayed this prayer as a teenager a lot and I would like to say I've grown out of it, but I'm not sure I have. God, if you'll forgive me this one time, I promise I'll never, ever, ever, what? Do it again. And then what do you do? You do it again, and again, and again. And what we're saying to God is, God, I, you know, we want to lean fully into the grace of God, right? We want you to love us as we are, and then we want you to leave us as we are. But here's something I want you to know tonight. That God loves you I mean, He absolutely loves you as you are. But He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He loves you too much for you to remain as you are. This is what the love of God looks like. He loves you so much. He loves you so much just as you are. But He loves you too much to leave you as you are. Uh, you just saw a picture, and, and I'll go back to that. Um, in Capel, where I live, I don't know if they have these in San Antonio. Do you, do you know what this is? The red light camera, you know? Um, and so when we first moved to Capel a few months ago, almost a year ago, I was driving through town. It was, it was dark one night, and I was, I'm so lost. And by the way, I, I'll just confess this. You'll, you'll, you'll get to know me better later, but I'm always lost. Like, I use my GPS to get home, and I live three minutes from, from where I work. Um, I'm always lost. I got lost the way here, you know. Um, and so uh, I was lost this night trying to figure out where I was and where I was going, and I was at a red light. Uh, not even, like, three minutes from my house. Again, it's, I'm not even far from home, and I don't know where I am. And um, in... The way I was raised, I don't know how you were raised, how you were taught to drive when you were growing up, but the way I was raised was that if you're going to turn left at a light, like here's the loophole in the law, right? If you're going to turn left at a light, what you do is you go ahead and pull out like you're going to turn left, okay? And your hope is that while the light is green, that traffic will break and you can go ahead and cross and drive your merry way. But in the event that it doesn't and the, and the turn light turns red, like there, there's this, this moment in time where everybody has a red light, and it is your civic duty to go ahead and turn to get out of the way of other, other, other cars. Like, this is your, this is your act of, of being a good citizen. This is what you do, right? This is the way I was raised. I guess it was wrong. <laughs> so I'm in Capel on this, uh, this, this night, and I'm at, I'm at this, this light. I'm trying to turn left, and, and I did what I always do. I go ahead and pull out, waiting. You know, I mean, that white line is there for a reason. That's for other people. I, I go beyond that. <laughs> So that if I don't get the braking traffic, I can go ahead and get on my merry way. 
and, and I'm trying to figure out where I am, and sure enough, the light turns red, all the traffic freezes, I go ahead and turn, and in my rearview mirror, I saw this bright light flash, and I was like, what is that? And I just forgot about it. <laughs> Two weeks later, I get this, this piece of mail from the, uh, the police department in Capel, a real friendly letter uh, with a picture of my truck. <laughs> like, they actually put the photograph on there, so you can't dispute it, you know, of me pulling through the light with my license plate and everything, and then the fine that I, was, I had to pay. The thing that is so true about these traffic lights is that they are incredibly just, but they have no capacity for grace. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I am sure that if a police officer had pulled me over, I could have explained to another human being I was brand new in town, you know, I was lost, I didn't know where I was going. Did I mention I'm a minister? You know, I work at a church, you know? Not that I would ever play that card, maybe one time. You know, in talking to a person with human capacity, surely this person would extend me grace and, and get me out of the ticket. A camera has no capacity for that, right? And by the way, I'm not knocking these cameras. I know they make our city safe. I think they should apply to, apply to everybody but me. Um, <laughs> but this is, what, this is what justice looks like, right? Now, what would have happened if, if I had pulled through the light, and then sure enough, a police officer pulled up behind me with his lights on? And he said, hey, sir, I, I saw what just happened. Uh, you were out in traffic, and you turned, and then the, the camera went off. I said, yes, sir, I, you know, I'm new in town. I was lost. <laughs> I give my speech. He said, ah, I got it, I got it. He said, uh, in a couple of weeks, you're going you're gonna to get a ticket in the mail. I was like, okay. And then what if this police officer said, hey, take this card. This has got a phone number. That's my personal cell phone number. Okay. When you get that ticket, call me. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for that ticket for you. What if that would have happened? That would have been an act of incredible grace. Now, here's what I want you to see. The reason grace has such an incredible impact in our lives is because of the presence of justice. Right? There's a sense in which grace isn't even grace without justice. But because of justice, we can experience incredible grace. Because of justice, we can experience incredible grace. And what if that same police officer would have looked me in the eye and he would have said, I'm going to do this for you this one time. But here's what I want to ask of you. And he gets that dad finger out in my face, you know, like your dad had. And don't ever do that again, right? And what's he asking? Change. Change. Because what grace requires, what... I mean, this is true, isn't it? That what grace requires of us is change. Because God does love you exactly as you are. But he loves you too much for you to remain as you are. And when you think about it, when you think about it, this is why the cross has such an impact on your story and my story. Because the cross is where the justice of God and the grace of God meet. And you know and I know full well what we have done. And you know and I know full well what we are capable of. And when we take a look at the cross and we see what Jesus did for us, and we know he didn't have to, but we know that he did it anyway, 
because he did love the whole world. And even though he had no sin, he took on our sin. And he paid the price for us. And why did he do that? Because that's what justice required. Justice required payment for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of the world. And so Jesus, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He paid the price. He bore the weight of the justice of God. And remember, justice has two sides. So he paid the price for us, but you know what he also did? He made right what had gone wrong. Because what had gone wrong was that many, many years before, sin had come into the picture. It had come into the story of God and man, and it had separated God and man. And what God did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, is he made right what went wrong, and he restored what had been broken because of your sin and my sin. He restored the relationship that you and I can have with God. So what God did on the cross through Jesus was an act of of incredible justice. And we get that because we experience the incredible grace of Jesus. And tonight, if I could just offer you one encouragement, it would be this. First, participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. Let's be the kind of people that throw wedding parties for refugees. Let's make right what's gone wrong. Let's be those messengers inviting people to the party, no matter what they look like or what language they speak or where they come from. Let's show people what life looks like in God's economy, and let's show people what life looks like when people treat each other a whole different way because we, we realize that we share God's identity. And you know what that means, right? That we all bear the image of God. And then, let's not just invite people in, into the party. Let's not, let's not stop there. Let's call people deeper. Let's call people deeper. Let's love people as they are, but let's not... Let's love them so much that we can't let them stay where they are. If you're a parent, you know what this is like. You love your kids exactly as they are. But I can tell you, I've got a five-year-old. I don't want her to stay that way forever. (laughs) I love her too much. I want her to grow. I want her to change. I want her to become more than she is today. And I know that she will. Let's love people as they are. But let's love people too much to leave them as they are. Let's participate and making things on earth as they are in heaven. Let's be a part of the answer to that prayer that Jesus prayed, taught his disciples, that things could be on earth as they are in heaven. Let's pray. God, this is our prayer tonight. Uh, we're just... God, we, we're desperate for you. And we don't know any other way to say it, but um, we read this story and we remember how rebellious we've been in our own hearts and how many times we've refused your invitation. We remember how many times we've been unwilling to change. And yet, God, you have still extended to us. While we were yet sinners, you've extended to us the incredible grace of God through Jesus on the cross. And we know on that cross where the justice and the grace meets God, we remember that right there at the foot of that cross is where the ground is level 
for all your people, for all your children. And so, God, we want to... We want to accept your invitation, but we want you to send us out on mission to participate in the life and ministry of Jesus in the here and now. And so, God, would you help us do that? Would you use us? And God, I know that you're going to do this. You'll do it for our good, but it's going to be for your glory. And God, I pray that you would work in us, work in this church, to do amazing things in this place, in this city, for the glory of your name and for the good of our neighbors to come to know that they are welcome and they are invited to the party that is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, this is our prayer. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you.